I don't want to walk in the way of sinners or stand in the way of scorners or seat, sit in the seat of scoffers. I want to uh, be firmly planted in the will and the way of the Lord because I want the things that I do to prosper and come under his blessing. And what a great reminder of that in that wonderful psalm. It's good to see everyone this morning. Um, I, I feel like <clears throat> no matter what you try right now, the, the, the devil's going to figure out a way to push back. Uh, a minute ago, Mark uh, said, for whatever reason, the air conditioner just flipped on to the heater. So uh, <clears throat> here we are in August with the heat on, but that's been switched, so things should be improving as we go along. And uh, you know, what I, what I just decided about that, and I say I decided about it, Janice uh, put this in my ear last night when something was going on that was just frustrating me, uh, just about you know, the efforts that we're trying to make going, going forward. And she just said, you know, it's just, it's just the devil, it's just the devil trying to, trying to put this in your mind, trying to discourage you. And I think that is absolutely so true. And I think for me and for you and for all of us, what we got to just keep doing is not let him win. To trust in the Lord, to keep pushing, to keep pushing forward every way and every opportunity we have and realizing that all along the way, there's gonna be setbacks, there's gonna be struggles, there's gonna be hardship, and not just in terms of trying to recover from COVID, but from all of our lives, that's just the way life in this world is gonna be. And we have to either decide to surrender to that, or we have to decide to keep pushing forward and doing whatever we can to make the best of the situation that we're in, trusting in God to give us ultimate and final victory, which he most assuredly will do in the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm glad to see you this morning. I don't care if it's hot. I don't care if it's cold. I'm just glad to see you. I'm glad that we're together, and I'm glad that we have an opportunity to grow together in our faith. We're starting this morning a new series, a short series of lessons, just three lessons long that I'm just calling Happily Ever After, Happily Ever After, and it's a series about relationships, and so it's a series that will be something, uh, and there will be something in it for everyone who is in a relationship, and I'm assuming that that means you, right, because all of us have relationships. In fact, one of the ways that you just define human beings is in terms of their relationships, and I think that's because we're made in the image of God who is in himself a relationship. That is, before anything else ever came into existence, God existed this way. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that is a triune relationship that precedes time and everything else. So God has always had an other to love, to receive love from, give and take. And so the elements of relationship stand beyond time and extend into eternity. And what God is in eternity, he reveals in time. And what he reveals uh, in his special image bearers, you and I, is that we are primarily made up of relationships. And that's probably why, and you've noticed this, that when, when your relationships are thriving, that's the time in which you experience the greatest joy in life. I mean, you, you could be struggling in any number of areas in your life. You could be struggling in your job, your career, your finances. You could even be struggling in your health. But if you've got some solid things happening in terms of relationships, you still have joy. And it can be the other way around too. It doesn't matter how good everything is going in your life. If the relationships, the key relationships in your life are struggling or hurting, then you're struggling and hurting as well. 
And pick the greatest highs that you've experienced in life have, have probably been related to those relationships and the, and the good things that are happening there. And your greatest lows or even your greatest regrets often have to do with relationship difficulties. And so the Bible is all about relationships and it's all about how we can have the kind of relationships first with God, then with one another that we need to have. I think a lot of the people who struggle um, and have these great uh, disappointments and regrets in relationships, sometimes that happens because they bought into some cultural myths about how relationships should work and believing those, those myths and acting on those myths have resulted in situations and relationships that turn into serious regrets. And while I'm no relationship expert, I am a relationship observer. I have been in a position to be able to observe relationships, many, many relationships, and I just watch what I see and kind of try to describe what's going on. And again, one of the things that I see over and over again is that when people have relational regrets that run very deep and entangle them uh, in a significant way, it's often traceable to a belief in a relationship myth that led to that undoing. Speaking of myths, how many of you remember the uh, TV show Mythbusters, right? Mythbusters. It's uh, one of those shows, I think it ran for like 13 years. Some of my kids were really into watching it when it was going on. And what they would do is they would take popular ideas that were, uh, you know, kind of hard to imagine if that was really true or not, and they would put them to the test to, to verify or falsify the claim of, of something that people popularly believed. Sometimes it would be vindicated and sometimes it would be proven to be not the case. Uh, and I was thinking about uh, some of those and I thought we could all play along as we try to get uh, started this morning. Here, here's one and, and, and I want you to answer this with just a show of your hand. Do you believe it's myth or uh, fact that if it's cold enough outside and you stick your tongue to a pole that it will instantly freeze to that pole. How many of you think that that's true? Raise your hand if you think that's true. If you think that's a myth, you can raise your hand. Okay, most everybody seems to think that's true, and it's right. According to Mythbusters, they verified that if you go out and it's cold enough outside and you stick your tongue to a metal pole, you are going to be there for a while. So no matter even if somebody triple dog dares you to do that, don't do it, don't do it. You caught the reference there. So the second one, uh, is a little bit more tricky. If you're in a vehicle with square wheels, square wheels, Scott, this is a vehicle with square wheels, if you drive fast enough, will it eventually create a smooth ride? How many of you think that that's a myth? You know, you can sort of imagine how that would happen, but square wheels, that could never ultimately, if you went faster and faster, finally turn into a smooth ride. How many of you think that's a myth? If you think that's a myth, no? How many of you think that's true? It could actually happen. Well, you're right. Apparently, it might be dependent upon your definition of smooth, but apparently if you go fast enough, those square wheels will actually create a, a smooth ride. But then a third one and the final one that we're going to talk about, because this one's a little more serious. It's a more real life circumstances. Imagine you're in a boat, guys. You're in a boat and a shark, a huge great white shark has been circling your boat. It's already eaten half the people on the boat. For whatever reason, they got close enough that the shark has eaten them. 
and you've got some scuba gear in the boat, just, you know, I don't know where I came up with this idea, but if you got the scuba gear and you, and you were managed to get that scuba tank in the shark's mouth, and you had a rifle on the boat and you shot the scuba tank in the white shark's mouth, would it blow up the shark? How many of you think, yeah, it'll blow, that'll work. We'd get rid of the shark that way. No? Well, you're, you're right. You guys are in good shape because that won't work. According to Mythbusters, that is a myth. No matter what Jaws says, that's not going to get you out of trouble. And that's an important one because you could ostensibly find yourself theoretically or even practically and really in a situation where you needed to know that. Your life depended upon it. And if you thought that that was going to be your way out and you went for it, well, then you just uh, shot yourself in the foot, I guess. But the point is that there are myths that sometimes you might believe that could result in disaster. And that's certainly the case when it comes to relationships. And there are some relationship myths out there that you can build relationships on, build a marriage, build a friendship, whatever it is that could ultimately be the undoing of that and cause you to live the rest of your life with a very serious and unnecessary regret. And that myth that I want to talk about this morning is the finding Mr. Right myth. Now, <clears throat> I'm not talking about Jack. I'm not talking about Ben. I'm not even talking about Jay. And that's, that's a whole different category of Mr. Right. I'm talking about this other Mr. Right, or it could be Mrs. Right, finding Mrs. Right myth. And what I mean by that is simply that the, the view or the belief that there's a right person for you, and, and I'm not denying that, that that could be the case, that there is a right person for you, but that that's all there is to this. The belief that there's a right person for you, and once you find your right person, everything will be all right. If you could just find your right person, everything's going to be all right. Because if you find them, then you're going to find out that you're, you're just fine. I mean, there's problems with you now. You've got some Daddy issues, you've, you've got some habits, you've got some debts, you've got some whatever other problems you've accumulated through the year, but you just know when you find Mr. or Mrs. Right, you're just going to be fine after that. When you find the right person, everything is going to be all right, regardless of what you do between now and the day that you meet them. And that's where the myth really happens. There may be a person who's very well suited to you, who may have the character traits that you need, but if you think that just meeting them or just marrying them is gonna make everything about you all right, you're setting yourself up for a grave disappointment and perhaps a relationship regret. And so we wanna talk about that for a little while this morning. One of the questions, another myth that kind of goes along with that is the question of, well, how do you know when you find Mr. Right? How do you know when you've met the person that's just the one who's going to make everything okay for you? And the common belief about that is that you know you found Mr. Right when you've got chemistry, okay? Well, and when it's just, man, just oh, the way she does her hair, the way he smiles, her laugh, those, those dimples, I mean, they're just the right one for me. And when I'm around them, I just feel like I've never felt before. In fact, I, I am in love like I have never been in love before. 
And if you have all of these sort of physical attractions and just, they've got the right style going on and then you throw a little bit of sexual contact in with the mix, now all of a sudden that's like pouring an accelerant on embers. It just bursts into flames. And not only are you convinced that you've never felt this way before, you've never been so in love before, but you're convinced that no one in the history of humanity has ever loved the way that you love each other. And that's how you know that you've found Mr. or Mrs. Right. And then you get married, you're together for a little while, and, and after uh, some time goes by, there's some conflict, there's some strife, there's some troubles, there's some things that you didn't quite expect, and, and you begin to realize that some of the flaws and problems that you had before you got married weren't actually fixed by being married to Mr. or Mrs. Wright. And, and now it seems like those personal issues and problems that were always there are now really being brought to the forefront because, well, you're in a very intimate relationship now. And you're actually trying to make a life together now. And those conflicts that before could sort of kind of be swept under the rug, now they're just always there. And it's like they're just coming to the forefront. As a consequence, it's like the chemistry is beginning to go away. And the problems are beginning to take their place. In fact, it's like the problems in the relationship are eroding the chemistry. And the real issue is what's going on right here is simply this. Uh, you, you, well, and you think now that you've married the wrong person. You, know, you thought you'd married the right person, but now you wake up one day and it's gotten so bad, the, the chemistry's so gone and the problems are so big that you're just convinced that, uh-oh, the problem, I thought they were the right person, but actually they're the wrong person. And, and probably what I need to do now to fix this is get away from that wrong person and find the real or the next right person who can then make everything all right, right? You, you tracking with me? So that's the, the kind of the situation that we have in the culture in America today. In fact, 50%, nearly 50% of marriages begin thinking, this is Mr. Right, this is Mrs. Right. But over half the time, it turns out, no, they were actually wrong. And so what people do is they leave that relationship and go find the next Mr. or Mrs. Right. But do you know that 60, and I forget the exact number, 62%, 62% of those second marriages end up turning into, uh-oh, the second one was also a wrong person. I guess third time's a charm, but the reality is that 73% of third marriages end up with the chemistry going away, and uh-oh, it's the wrong person again. So it seems to me that the real issue is this. We all have the chemistry to fall in love. I mean, how hard is it to fall? If a person gets in a precarious enough situation and keeps going far enough, it's, it's not very hard to fall, right? You can fall out of a high chair. It doesn't take much talent to fall. Anybody can fall in love. If you are a normal human being, male or female, you can very easily and very quickly fall into love. The problem is we lack the character or we need the relationship skills necessary to be able to stay in love. And in order to do that, it's important that we not only find Mr. or Mrs. Wright, but that we actually focus on becoming Mr. or Mrs. Wright. Uh, 
Because really, isn't it true that that's what we have more control over anyway? And how is it that we're going to do that? How are we going to become the kind of person who has the character not only to fall in love, which doesn't take any character, but the kind of person who has the character to stay in love and to be for the other person what we need to be? I'm 100% convinced, and this is why Christianity, the, uh, the, the Bible, the church, all of these things are so, so vital and why it means so much to me to, to talk about this, especially to so many young people, college students, those who are newly wedded or those who are planning to be married at some point in the near future is because we need to develop this character and the way that we can do that is through forming a relationship with someone who already has these character qualities. Isn't it true that if you want to get better at something, maybe it's a sport that you enjoy, the best way to get better fastest is to start playing that sport with somebody who's better at it than you are? When you can play with somebody who's better than you are, then much more, you will advance much more quickly than if you just choose to play some people that you can always beat, Right? And the same thing is true with character transformation and development and the ability to develop, the ability to love people over the long haul. We need to find someone who has the character traits that we need to adopt ourselves to be able to do this. And there's one person in all of history who has them perfectly. One person whose love is perfect, that we can adore, admire, worship, and most importantly, walk with in such a way that we can learn from him how to love people over the long haul. In fact, when Jesus was getting near the end of his ministry, in fact, it was the day before, the evening of his arrest, betrayal, trial, and the next day, crucifixion, he gathered together his closest followers. And it was like one of those things in which he's saying to them, if you've forgotten everything else I've taught you over the last three years, here's what I want you to really remember. This is what you need to focus on most of all. So he's got them together. He's leaning them in because he knows they're going to face all kinds of trials and difficulties, not the least of which is going to be their relationship difficulties with each other. And it seems like that's what concerns him most in these chapters. And so he says to them, when he's got them all gathered together, he says to them a passage that I talk about all the time because I think it's so vital. I am the vine. This is what Jesus says. I am the vine and you are the branches. Now that's an image that we're easily able to conjure up in our mind, right? Even though we're not an agrarian society and we don't walk through vineyards all the time, we've seen enough fruit trees or vineyards to know how this works. There's there's these ancient, sometimes hundreds of year old grapevine branches, roots, vines that, that go down into the ground. And they come up and you have all these, these vines that run off of that, these branches that run off of that main trunk, that main vine. And those are the branches then that the fruit is born on. And Jesus is saying, what I want you to see, what I want the, my disciples, what he wants you and I to see is that he is the vine. Just like Taylor read for us in Psalm 1 about a tree planted by the rivers of water. And we're like branches that are grafted into that tree that we can bear fruit in. Jesus says, I'm the vine. I want you to get connected with me. And I want you to do that because if you remain in me, the word remain in your translation might, might say abide the idea is 
to be fixed there, to be connected in a vital and meaningful way with, if, if you'll do that with me, then you will bear much fruit. Now think about this for a moment. We're in the New Testament, the scriptures talk about bearing fruit. It almost always does so in the idea of the fruit being, relate, being, being personal character qualities that result in a beneficial uh, relationship with other people. For example, the fruit of the Spirit, right? In Galatians chapter five. The fruit of the Spirit is what? It's love, it's joy, it's peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness or reliability and steadfastness. These things are all the kinds of character traits that we need in order for relationships to be enduring and to be flourishing and to be fruitful and beneficial for everyone involved. If you want that in your relationships, if you want that in your marriage because you're already in that marriage or you're wanting that for the marriage that you're hoping to have someday, what does Jesus say is essential for that to happen? You must remain in me because I'm the vine. You're just a branch. And if you sever the connection between the branch and the, and the root and the vine, then you are going to wither and you're not going to have within you what it takes to produce what the relationship needs. And when the flash of chemistry is gone and the problems come up, you'll have no resource within yourself to endure and bear the fruit that the relationship needs and demands apart from me. And Jesus said this, I wouldn't have been bold enough to tell you this, but Jesus is saying to you and about your relationships, your marriage, your future marriage, your current marriage, your relationship with your brothers and sisters and your parents, apart from me, you can't do this. And so he goes on and he says in verse nine, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. As I said a moment ago, no one has ever lived or loved like Jesus did. We want to attach and connect with him because he is the ideal. He's the perfect. He's the one who loved flawlessly. And so we would ask the question of Jesus, how do you do that? How, how did you, Jesus, during your life on this earth, love others so persistently, so patiently, so perfectly, so confidently, so boldly, and, and just continue to do that like nobody has ever done it before or since? How did you do that? And Jesus says, well, the Father loved me. And I was abiding in, I was connected to the love that the Father had for me. That was the thing that gave me the strength. That was how I endured difficult people, difficult situations, relationship problems that kept cropping up over and over again. I just kept going back and remembering to this and connecting with my father and being assured of his love for me and thinking about how he was loving me. And I was able to translate that into how I should love and treat those around me. And so just as I've done that by abiding in the father's love, so now I've loved you. In fact, I've loved you exactly the way the Father has loved me. And it's been tangible, it's been real. I mean, their feet were still drying at this point from Jesus having just washed their feet a few moments before it. And they have known what it meant like never before to be loved by another person even when they didn't deserve it. Even when they were stupid. 
Even when they were doing things that were just completely contrary to what they ought to have been doing, Jesus continued to remain with them, to love them, and to, and to serve them. And, and Jesus is saying, I've just done for you what God the Father has done for me, and now I just want you to remain in that love. That is so powerful. Because what that means is that in your relationships, when that person that you're married to or your brother or sister or your friends or your coworker, whatever relationship that's struggling and causing so much difficulty for you right now, even pain for you right now, is you're gonna, you're gonna look at that and say, I don't think I've got it in me to do this. I don't think I can go on any longer. So what do you do? Well, you go back to the love that Jesus has loved you with. And you lean into that and you reconnect with it and you try to strengthen the circumference of the attachment of your branch into him as the vine and you try to draw more sap, more energy, more nutrients from him to give you what you gotta have, to, to remind you of how he has loved you so that having been filled with that, you can now go back over here and love them the way that he has loved you, which is exactly what he gets to next when he says in verse 10, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. Now the disciples probably look at this and just say, well, uh, this is kind of the bait and switch because you were talking about this, this organic relational dynamic that was so character transforming and now you've just kind of gone back to this, this old idea of, well, it's just follow the rules. Well, Jesus understood that the Father's rules for him were never arbitrary or just there for no reason, but that they all actually were always there to try to enhance and strengthen and maintain relationship. And that's the way he saw the law of God. That's the way he lived the law of God. And he said, just as I've been doing that and, 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 and using God's law to give, to give shape and direction to, to loving you, now I want you to do the same thing and, and remain in my commands. But then he does something that I think really gets to the point this morning. And that is he takes that commandment and he sort of sums it all up in a way that they can remember because I can sort of put myself in that situation. The disciples are gathered around Jesus. He's giving them and, and, and they're soaking up every word. And, and he says, okay, I need you to you know, keep my commands. And so John's like, okay, I gotta get out the pen and the parchment and, and make sure I get all these down. And Jesus is like, well, you don't probably need to write it down. I think you can remember this because he says in verse 12, my command is this. Here's my commandment, love each other. Love each other. That's my command for you. That's how I'm gonna just kind of sum everything up. And you know, when, when you do this, you probably won't need a, a ton of rules because I'm gonna... I'm gonna elevate it even a little bit more and give some clarity and definition to that by adding this at the end of verse 12, as I have loved you. Because you're gonna face all kinds of unique circumstances that there might not be just a cut and dried rule or law that you can just keep and follow, but you'll never find a circumstance where you can't think about, well, how does Jesus love me and what would it look like if I loved this person the way he loved me? Guys, when you're on dates with the girls that you're dating, 
and you're wondering what's appropriate and what's not appropriate, and you're trying to thumb through your Bible and find a, a law or a rule here or there, and it, it never says anything about I can't do this, you don't need that. And you know you don't need that. You just love her the way Jesus loves you. And that's with consideration, with patience, with kindness, with thinking about the other person and their needs and what's honorable and nothing that would ever leave them with a regret. And you just say, okay, well, that sort of just solves everything, doesn't it? That just brings so much clarity. And that's what Jesus is saying to them there, and it's what we need so much in all of our relationships, and especially in our marriages, is we need to just love each other the way Jesus has loved us. He's shown us that way. And it's so important for all of us, but especially for those of you who are not yet married, because and especially if you're thinking about getting married before long, because being able to say, I do, doesn't mean you can. (laughs) Being able to say, I do, does not guarantee that you can. And maybe that's another one of these myths of our day and time is that all it really takes to be able to be what you need to be is a ceremony and a party to follow. If I, if I can just get in front of a preacher who can, you know, rattle off some vows and I can say, yeah, this, that, and the other, and I slip a ring on my finger and I make a promise, then all of a sudden I can be Mr. Right. I can be Mrs. Right. But in that sense, I would say to you that commitment is overrated. And, I, and what I mean by that is this, making a commitment, making a vow doesn't make you able to keep a vow. What makes you able to keep a promise is by hanging out with and being connected to someone who has already made promises and kept them and kept promises made to you in such a way and at such great cost to himself that it just gets you on a level like nothing else ever could. And by being connected with him, you're learning and growing how to make vows, how to make promises and how to keep them because I'm walking with the perfect and ultimate promise keeper. It's amazing when you read through the Bible, going all the way back to Genesis 3, God starts making promises. And the nature of the promises that he makes have to do with this, the world's gone wrong, the world's departed from me, the world's sinned against me, and the world is in in a terrible mess, but I am gonna bring a blessing. I'm gonna take what's broken and I'm gonna make it right. There is chaos and trouble and pain, but I'm gonna bring redemption into a broken world. And all the way along as he's making these promises, there's this indication that he's gonna do something radical. He's gonna do something amazing. He's gonna do something that's gonna take the world's breath away because it's gonna take his breath away. Because ultimately in order to, keep his promise to bring a blessing to the world. He died on a cross to make it happen. Because without that, it was not going to happen. And if that's what it took to keep his promise, if that's what it took to fulfill his vow, he was gonna do it. And when you hang out with him, when you're connected to him, when you're a follower of the one who makes and keeps promises, it changes you into that kind of person. And it's not the ability to say I do, it's the ability to do it as a result of his influence that will make you Mr. or Mrs. Right. And so, if you're married this morning, already, 
here's what you need to start doing. Even if you've already let them down, even if they're disappointed, even if there's marriage troubles, you need to start today focusing on connecting with Jesus in such a way and loving the other in such a way that you can, over the course of time, become their Mr. Right or their Mrs. Right. And you do that by making some promises and keeping some promises, making some small promises and keeping some small promises and hanging out with the Lord and hanging out with other people who are trying to make promises and keep them. And if you're not married yet and hope to be someday, then you also can begin working on this immediately by living this way in every relationship that you already have. By honoring, young ladies, your father. By respecting and honoring and loving, young men, your mother. And your sister and your brother. And you treat them with the love and respect that God's calling you to show because that's how he's treated you. And every time you go on a date, even though you know maybe this person is not gonna be someone that's gonna be my Mr. Right or my Mrs. Right, even so, I'm going to treat them in the way that I would ultimately hope to treat my husband or my wife. Because there's no way to practice in relationships in ways that are, are not appropriate and not good and not wholesome and not right and then think that one day you're gonna flip a switch, say a vow in a magic ceremony and all of a sudden you're gonna be and have the character that you need in order to make it through. And so, it's very simple. As we abide in Jesus' love, we just need to be pouring that same love into every relationship that we have. And that's the way we become solid enough on that day when we stand before a crowd and we make those promises. We'll have confidence that I can actually keep these promises because I've created a track record over my life of doing exactly that. Well, you can look at that and say, well, I don't, I don't have to do that. And you're right, you don't. And it could be that there's a young person, maybe you're a college freshman or something, you're just showing up here and you're here today checking it out, but you're thinking, you know, really what I wanna do is I just wanna cut loose. I mean, I've been growing up in this church environment my whole life and I'm ready to just kind of go out there for a little while to kind of do the prodigal son thing and find out what that's all about. Sow some wild oats. And I can tell you if that's the case, very likely what your future looks like. It looks like three, four, five years down the road that after a series of crazy relationships and sowing a bunch of wild oats that are now kind of coming up and they're producing a crop that you really don't care too much for. And you're really now seeing yourself in this picture four years down the road sick of who you've become and what's going on around you and all the drama and all the strife and all the heartache and all the waking up with hangovers and all the broken relationships and broken hearts and trouble that you've caused and trouble that you've received and you just say, you know, I, th I think it's time to grow up and, and, and then sparks that memory of how it used to be at, at church and I think maybe it's time to kind of get back into that. And so you, you go and sure enough, man, there's just, look at all these cute girls. And I mean, they are cute. And not only are they cute, but they've got character. I mean, they're so different than the ones that you've 
been sowing your wild oats with. And they're so accepting and encouraging and so you're hanging out and then y'all are going to the queue or whatever else you're doing and, and, and everybody's great and she's so cute and she loves Jesus and she wants a family and it's like, man, that's really what I, I come to see that that's what's important in life and that's what I wanna pursue as well. But there's only one problem. A girl like that is not looking for a boy like you. And a boy like that is not looking for a girl like you. Now, that doesn't mean that there's no redemption. We're all about redemption. In fact, if, if that is you and you're not at the front end of that, but you're at the back end of that, you're four years down the road and, and you're here this morning and you're thinking, yeah, I've got a lot of regrets. I've seen a lot of wild oats come to fruition and I don't like the way the fruit tastes and I'm ready to get back, then we're ready to try to help. And it's not too late for you. We can't do away with all the things that have happened and those regrets may haunt you for years to come, but you can begin to make things right. You can begin to become the kind of person that you need to be and we believe you can, but it's gonna take some time. And you're gonna have to build up and develop and learn and grow into that character because it's gonna take time to get that rootedness that you need in the vine, Jesus Christ, to grow and strengthen until you're receiving what you need so that you'll be able to love another the way that Christ has loved you. But you can do it. But to those of you who are on the front end of that, can't you see how much better it would be for you not to go down that pathway? For you to just begin to work on and develop in the relationships you already have, the character that you need and that you know you'll need going forward so that when you meet Mr. or Mrs. Wright, you will have become the kind of person that the kind of person you're looking for is looking for. And you can begin a life happily ever after. Not based on some myth, not based on some hope or dream and that's somehow contrary to the way that you're actually behaving, but by coming alongside another person who's consistently trying to follow the Savior, the Lord, the same way that you are. And your journey comes together and you just keep on going in the direction that both of you are trying to go in. That's what we're after. And that's what this series is gonna be about. This morning's sermon is really just a very, very, very long introduction. Beginning tomorrow, or next, next Sunday, we're gonna dive into some very specific things about what it looks like to love another the way Christ has loved you. We encourage you to be here for that. If you're not a Christian, we wanna encourage you to come, connect with the vine, let him make that difference in your life that only he can make. And if we can help you, we encourage you to come.